0: Good morning again, if you're just joining us. I'm Ann Armstrong and I'm Vice President of Strategic Alliances at GovExec and I'm excited to introduce our next panel uh, on the topic of employees as customers. An agency's ability to execute on its mission comes down to the people supporting that mission, the workforce. Without a backbone of human capital, with the passion, drive, and innovative force to translate new ideas to reality, any overhaul in customer service delivery frequently falls flat. Joining me today, this panel of experts will make the case for a holistic approach to customer experience, starting with the employee, and share their roadmap for success in treating employees as customers. I'm pleased to announce Nikki French, Customer Service Branch Manager for the Transportation Security Administration. Ron Vickery, Area Vice President, Customer and Industry Workflows, Government Health and Higher Education at ServiceNow. And Pan Van Meter, Principal Siam Specialist with Okta. So thank you guys for being here today. We have a lot to cover, so we're going to jump right in. But to start... I'm gonna let each of you have an opportunity to shed a little bit more on your role and what you do and how you deal with employee experience. So, Nikki, why don't you start?
1: Sure, so good morning everybody. My name is Nikki French uh, with Transportation Security Administration. I'm sure uh, if anyone has ever traveled, which I'm sure you have, you have experienced TSA. Uh, So, I have a unique role, I am responsible for the customer experience across TSA. Um, I also run our TSA contact center, Um, and to me employees are front and center. Um, Two thirds of TSA is the frontline workforce, uh, and we are absolutely nothing without them. So everybody outside of the the frontline workforce is there to support them, um, and I really feel like they are my number one customer. Uh, the public is also a huge customer, right? But if we're not treating our employees well, then what are we doing, you know? Uh, can't expect them to have a good, or put forth a good experience for the customers without um, them receiving the treatment that they should be getting, so that's, uh, that's me. Ron?
2: Um, also, good morning, uh, Ron Vickery. Um, I was sitting here thinking, kind of reflecting back, I'm, I'm six years with ServiceNow, and but a career before that and just a real passion around customer experience. and we were talking earlier, the, the kind of this in, uh, ingraining of employees as part of that customer experience is obviously foundational. Um, I came on at a really good time because customers were trying to figure out what more they could do with our platform, and it exploded into this customer experience and employee experience spaces. Uh, and we've taken that a step further. And what I've been able to be involved in is the forming of taking that towards industry. So how do we tailor those solutions towards industry? And so that's really exciting because you're really um, empowering employees to deliver better experience that makes them less frustrated and, uh, and and everything that Nikki shared. So so excited to be here. And Pam?
3: Oh. Good morning. Um, Pam Van Meter. I am a principal SIAM specialist with Okta. So what that means, Siam is um, customer, consumer, citizen, identity, and access management. Um, And the Siam specialist, we are, from a Siam perspective, when you come up from the Siam world, we are maniacally focused on the customer experience because it has a huge impact on business, right? So whether that's whatever the business drivers are, for improving that customer experience. It can be revenue. It can be conversion rates, uptake. But we know at a very deep level that if that customer experience is poor, it's going to impact the business in negative ways. So the ability to be able to see through that lens versus a traditional workforce solution where we put up all kinds of friction in front of workers and we don't care because they got to get through it to do their job, you know flipping that a little bit and thinking well if we gave the workers a better experience and streamlined it and made it easier for them to do their job how would that then impact how they support those customers so that's really where the siam lens comes
0: in well and that leads right into my next question which was exactly that which was how does improving the employee experience Translate or move to improving the customer experience i I, I assume it 's happy workers help happy customers, but <laughs>
1: why don 't you start mm-hmm, yeah. Sure. yeah I mean I think that 's the great that 's the foundation right i mean that's that 's the, the thought um, we have the unique challenge hopefully it 's not a challenge for much longer, but uh, you know TSA has to balance security and customer experience right and so we're different from a lot of other organizations um, because we, we have a security mission. You know, if you're trying to just get a passport or you're trying to go, you know, book a campsite on recreation.gov, there's no security aspect there. Uh, so we, are, we have a, a bit of a challenge because our officers on the front lines um, have to enforce rules. And sometimes that can come across as uh, a little, maybe a little more militant than we would like. Uh, but it's really important. And so we try to to make sure that the officers are professional and polite. So we spend a lot of time just kind of level setting what customer service means in the context of TSA and security. Um, we tend to get some pushback when we just say customer service because they think, well, you know, we have to do security. Um, but it's really just kind of retraining and getting the culture shift that it is those two things are one. Um, and if you provide a better service, then security compliance you know, should go up. Um, so that's kind of where we are with making sure that you know, the frontline also understands that they are a customer. So we use the term customer at TSA in the broadest sense so that they can so see the themselves. So employees are customers yeah, as well? Yeah, so they can see themselves as part of that mission um, and, and understand that we do care about them and everything that we're doing is to make sure that their job is easier.
2: You guys want to weigh in on that? Yeah. Well, culturally, I think you, you mentioned they have to be able to deliver great experiences, but and and not only and be empowered to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I think one of these is like one one of the things I realized when moving from commercial market into public sector or healthcare, you really the people who are providing service are doing it with a mission in mind. Mm-hmm. You know, they they're coming trying to help citizens, help patients, what have you, and so. Uh, the the importance of empowering those individuals to deliver against that is is hugely important. And we and I think one of the things that we forget about is if if we make our employees frustrated, meaning they can't deliver that service, it's not only are they are are they not going to be able to deliver that that outcome. But also the retention is drops, mm. so you've get people who turn over because they're frustrated. They don't have the tools and resources to deliver. So I, I, I we experience it all the time.
0: Pam, yeah, and
3: to just pull on that thread a little bit, with you know, so um, OMB released uh, memo twenty three fifteen about a month ago. Well, we're in June now, right? So April, um, and what that is mandating is that agencies work to improve their efficiency, operational efficiency. Um, And a big part of that is supporting a workforce that has flexible options, right, so that we can retain and attract talent. Just like you said, and happy workers means that we're going to have happy customers. Um, and so how do we do that? You know, offering flexible options, but allowing employees to easily access the tools they need to support the agency mission. And that's really what the bottom line is, right? Because if they're blocked all over the place with friction and they're not able to get the tools they need, regardless of where they're working. So we want the top talent and we want to retain them. We want to make it nice for them to work you know, and so that they can actually feel invested in the agency mission. So tracking these metrics and then improving and constantly tuning, tuning and getting better and better is really gonna help improve
1: the overall efficiency of the agency. Yeah, and just uh, one quick note on the uh, employee retention yeah. um, and morale. For TSA, that's, you know, we're constantly short-staffed. Uh-huh. And you feel that at the checkpoint and the officers feel that there's, you know, constantly mandatory overtime. Um, and if, you know, if you've been working for 12 hours, you know, it may be a little challenging Uh, When you've taken the hundredth bottle of cold water from someone's carry on bag after (laughs) you've just said, Do you have any water in there? And they're like, No, I don't. And then you pull out an ice cold aquafina. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but to that end, you know, TSA has worked, our our administrator, Pekoski, has worked very hard, um, and we have. TSA pay equity that is uh, official on July 2nd. Um, and what does that mean for anyone who's not in TSA? You probably don't care about this. I care about it very deeply. <laughs> it means, uh, especially for the frontline workforce, we're going to be starting to get paid uh, commiserate with the rest of our government partners. Um, so across the board, the frontline officers are going to be getting about a 30% raise. Yeah. Wow. Yes, yeah, so that tells you um, how far behind we are. <laughs> so we're hoping. Um, that this raise and you know getting paid, what they should have been getting paid for you know the last twenty years since TSA stood up, will really help with the with the you know morale and certainly the retention. So um, again, it goes into effect in July, but we've been messaging it ever since Congress passed that in the budget for the last several months. So um, yeah, it's great. And I would say when you travel, just thank the thank the TSA officers because their job is hard. <laughs> well. We've sort of answered part of my next question, but
0: I want to make sure, uh, sure that we touch on all of it. Which is the biggest challenges right now affecting the workforce? I and mean, you, certain, you know, pay is one, mm-hmm. long hours is one. Uh, you know, anybody who goes online uh, is familiar with how difficult airline passengers can be, <laughs> and so even before they get on the plane, they can be uh, difficult. But are there, broader than just TSA, are there any other trends uh, that you see in government that are affecting uh, the employee uh, situation? Who wants to jump in? I'll,
3: I can go. Yeah. OK. Um, yeah, so I think that what, from Okta's perspective, what I see when I talk to customers um, you know, a shortage in talent, just shortage in, you know, resources in general across the board, and then a lot of technical debt, um, you know, sort of outdated solutions, and, you know, a lot of what I run into, too, is sort of just homegrown identity and access management solutions and sort of piecemeal um, things all over the place, which just make it challenging to be able to provide this seamless experience for those employees. I think that's the biggest challenge. So then the trend that we're seeing is focusing on this human-centered design and being able to then really prioritize, again, the human experience, whether it's a worker or, you know, an external-facing citizen, you know, and making sure that that experience is as seamless and easy as possible and everyone will then be able to focus on that mission and what they need to do.
2: And if you take that and balance it against the expectations of everyone, everyone consuming government services, Um, both whether they're employees or externally, they're expecting those amazing experiences they get as a consumer. And And we're putting employees in a really tough situation if we're not empowering them to deliver against that expectation. So I think that across the board is a big trend, rising expectations of the way service should be received. And making sure that we've empowered these employees um, to deliver that level of service. Uh,
0: so, the needs of the employees are changing, as uh, as we've been discussing. The, their expectations are going up. The the customers' expectations are, for the employees are going up as well. Um, how? D- how is the leadership uh, in agencies dealing with these changing expectations, all of which uh, can be solved with lots more money, but that doesn't seem to be, based on recent events on the Hill, doesn't <laughs> seem to be happening right away. Uh, anybody want to jump in on uh, expectation uh, inflation <laughs> <laughs> sure.
1: yeah I mean, we, we had to take a little bit of a regulatory approach to that um, during covid uh, with the mask mandates uh, on planes and whatnot um passengers were were quite unruly there for a time uh, and we had to issue several statements press releases there were some checkpoint signs that if you assault a tsa officer you will face a civil penalty um, and, and that was because there was such an uptick in that type of outrageous behavior, uh, and the employees were feeling like, you know, no one's backing me up, no one cares if passengers are screaming at me. Uh, we did have many TSOs that were assaulted, and uh, so that's why we had to kind of take a, a different approach to be like, yeah, we, we do have your back to the frontline workforce, um, and just to try to set those expectations. Like, you, if you're going to come through the checkpoint, you cannot hit our employees. I mean, that should be obvious, right? But, like, you can't be, you can't be yelling at them, like, we're going to call law enforcement. Um, and, you know, that's, un- that's an unfortunate step that we had to take, but um, it-, it has gotten better, so.
2: But, yeah. Um, I was on a, um, with customers from Department of Commerce and Interior and the USDA. Two-thirds of the discussion was around how does leadership change culture, in an organization to get to that, those great customer experiences. And two-thirds of that discussion was linked to the employees. How do you do that? And so, and I heard some amazing things. One of the individuals, they wanted their organization to Understand the culture of the customer, and so they actually did a cutout of a consumer, a citizen, and had them attend every meeting and sit in the meeting. And I know that's you know seems outlandish, but you're really trying to get. If you if you heard Barbara Morton's keynote uh, today, uh, really talking about how to uh, talk, how to how to change the conversation to look at things culturally and build that culture of trust. It's, it's, about le- it's about developing that consistent view across your organization. And so I think that's what I see a lot in leadership is really trying to change how organizations are thinking about delivering a service. Barbara mentioned thinking about the veteran and what would a veteran think about this service. So we're seeing that across the board through leader, by leaders across federal government.
0: Well, and I think some people don't realize that agencies have different cultures. And they can be quite different, and they may um, they may change over time. But it it can sometimes be harder to change because you uh, the leadership comes and goes, but the core stays. And so you need to uh, to have an approach that makes it in their interest to change mm-hmm. also. Right. Um, so, how do you think the, what kind of impressions are you getting from the employees about how well this uh, this focus on employee experience is working? I mean, you gave us a little bit of response, but do you want to say anything more about?
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's really important that we get out there and actually talk to the employees. Um so we just wrapped a passenger experience survey and then um, you know that'll give us a lot of insights on passengers. And I think that those results are going to be, um, again, really serve as a morale booster for the front line. Um, and next up is gonna be getting back out and talking to the TSOs, talking to the front line. Um, we do a lot of work with customer service managers, which uh, there's about 200 of them across TSA. So, you know, those are another one of our big customers. So we we're reaching out to them. Um, how can we better serve you? They're the ones that are typically responsible for training their airport staff um, on customer experience work. So, uh, you know, it's really important. We also work a lot with empowering. You know, we've, we've talked about empowering the employees. We do that through training. Um, we have uh, a course called CX Demystified, and that's a way to equip the front line with the tools that they need. Um, so we collect feedback from that training as well, which is overwhelmingly positive. Um, we have it done in like a really fun MythBuster kind of way, so it keeps it light. Um, no one wants to sit through a, a boring PowerPoint training, so we made it interactive. Um, but you know, we, we collect feedback along the way in, in any way that we can.
3: Um, yeah. The, um that OMB uh, M2315 that I mentioned actually, um, so TSA is a, a HISP agency, high impact agency, right? So they have to track, um, you know, their customer facing, you know, um, metrics as far as the satisfaction that goes along with it. But that memo actually calls out for them, you know, to also track the internal, like, you know, provide surveys on the internal employees to get a feel for how they're doing for their efficiency and operational procedures. So they can then, you know, continue to iterate and improve tracking these metrics based on the employee feedback in order to also then meet these goals for these, you know, external facing Services that they're providing, and they are mandated to prioritize the citizen-facing services and track those metrics very closely. Mm-hmm. So, it's a direct correlation, really, mm-hmm. between the two.
2: Yeah, and you're taking the quantitative portion and combining it with the qualitative. Mm-hmm. To your point, how do you how do you gauge people's um, opinion on their ability to provide service, et cetera? And that's you've got to get that directly from the employees. You can look at the data and activate around the data, but both are hugely important.
1: Yeah, and that's why the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey is so important, too, that that is always sent out to all the federal offices. Um, you know, we use that data. <laughs> um, I know sometimes people think, like, uh, does my opinion really matter? Should I even bother taking the FEVs? And you should, uh, because it's really important. Uh, we use that data, and we've also done um, a CXEX overlap. So we took the Employee Engagement Index, and we took our contact center data and paired them together to see, like, okay, if there's a good, if the employee data is good, you know, how did that impact the complaint trends? Um, so it's it's really awesome, and it's great to kind of just take the data that you have and use what you got. So in the FEBS for, for federal employees is, you know, the number one survey that you use. Well, and I
0: think um, when you look at this uh, best agencies to work for, uh, you find that when the employees feel part of the mission and they believe in the mission that their satisfaction goes up and they stay longer because they want to be involved in continuing to deliver that mission so uh, you know it, it's it 's easier if you 're NASA I think sometimes <laughs> than it might be if you 're collecting taxes but uh, still it 's a mission that is necessary and uh, we, we have to have the tax money in order to deliver on all of our other uh, important missions. But uh, how how do you make sure you suggested one way? Are there other ways that you can make sure that the employees know that they're valued and that they're uh, that they are having a, a good custom, employee customer experience? Are there other things you can do? I mean, I think tracking those surveys
3: and then actually helping, giving them feedback that you're actually paying attention to what they're telling you. And so actually doing days, something days. with right, the survey. Right. Yes. So feeling like, here, I'm saying something and it's not going into this void. Like someone is actually listening to me and making changes. Like, so my voice has an impact and value and then my you know, focus on the mission and my investment in that is even more impactful, right? So, you know, if I know that I'm moving the needle and I'm making a difference and I am enabled to do that in a way that moves this agency mission forward, that's a lot of value, right? And so we're being heard, we're adding value, you know, all of that is going to increase that external facing experience.
2: The way we run those, that's a great point, the way we run those surveys is what's your input? Um, do do you do you, um, do you believe we're going to make change as a result of your input? Did we make change as a result of your input? Following all the way through to you know did this take effect, and and continuing to iterate around that. So that's the way we believe surveys should be run.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, um, one of the issues that comes up periodically is. Uh, the remote workforce. Now, obviously you can't have a TSA (laughs) remote. I can't check your bag from my home uh, with a computer or with a zoom lens or something. Uh, But how? uh, what kind of results or effect is bringing everybody back or the messages that I've been hearing from a lot of government people is that they've learned that they can work remotely and that they would like the freedom to continue to do that at least part-time. And I'm, I'm curious what kind of reactions you all have uh, to whether, how important is that as part of the uh, employee experience?
1: I mean, well, our, my team, uh, I have a lot of remote workers, um, and it's actually been great. So I actually have Natika with me here today. She is on detail with me from the Detroit airport, um, which wouldn't have been possible if I had never, if, if TSA had not gone to a more remote workforce, um, and so it's great. It's it's given. Um, I've had four people on detail with me from airports across the country. So it's it's a great experience. And then um, you know when we need something on the ground, she's at Detroit. She can go talk to her fellow security director. She can go directly engage with the workforce. So you know we have a high. I guess that's you know a hybrid. She, she works from home for me, but then can hop over to the airport, which is fantastic. Um, and we actually do have some remote capabilities that we're testing out where, say, the Detroit airport is, has no one coming through, right? But Las Vegas is packed. We have the ability in some, and those are not the actual airports, but there is the technology available that the Detroit airport may be able to screen bags that are coming through in Las Vegas. So um, the, the technology is connected. So again, those are not the actual airports, but it is a pilot that we're running, so...
2: I was with a customer last week and I was meeting with representatives from their IT organization, three individuals, and um, they worked in this particular case for, uh, you know, in a campus environment. As I talked to them, I said, "So, I've been there and what was this like?" And none of them had ever visited the campus. They were all operating remotely, which made me wonder, you know, I think for a sense of purpose it helps to visit, you know, and be a part of that culture. So, I think we've gone from the, the expectation that we'll pe- people will go in. We're seeing the purposeful need for going to the office. So is there, you kind of described it, Nikki, is there a reason to go in and meet? And there are valid reasons to do that. It's just not necessarily every day I'm automatically going to show up. And so that hybrid uh, ability gives people to go in the reason to go in for purposeful um, you know, activities.
3: Yeah, I think it's critical. And- can you hear me? Oh, my, sorry. My thing. Um, yeah, it's and OMB knows that, right? And they, they have mandated that agencies, you know, as long as we can support the mission, however that is, right? Like to Nikki's point, not every role can support any hybrid or remote work. But as much as possible, it's critical for them to be able to retain and track talent, critical, um, because it's just, that's the way most of us work and the live mm-hmm. these days. And it just makes the employees happier again. If they can do their role you know, from home or apart, like you, and I think going in for purpose, you know, for a purpose, and I'm gonna go see people is valuable as well, so having that option is important.
0: Uh, we've talked a little bit about data and how important data is, but are there employee experience uh, benchmarks? I mean, when you, uh, obviously if you, if one part goes way out of bounds, You're going to try to respond. Uh, Are there are there certain things that you should be looking for as you're looking through your responses uh, from the employees about what's working and what's not?
2: We we look at um, on the qualitative side. We look at um, steps of process, and uh, you know, in other words, is is the process as as services being delivered by the employee, is it meeting expectations, going from step to step to step. So that's that we're we're looking at how how is that working? And then of course how are we optimizing a workforce to address the needs out there. So the ebbs and flows of demand for that. So that's kind of on the qualitative side, the ability to optimize those pieces of what we're doing. So I think we try to we we're constantly looking for how can we make Every step of the process more efficient, um, to you know, and effective, but also to um, uh, align the right resources, the right people to that. And so, our every customer kind of wants to do that. They're looking for that level of optimization without without negatively impacting their ability to deliver service.
0: Um, we have about five minutes left, and we can clearly. Uh, fill that time, but I wanted to give you all a chance to ask questions. If there is anybody who has a question, uh, something we haven't covered that you would like uh, to address. Yes. Ron, nice question.
2: Jackie, question. Were any of your agencies or companies affected by what COVID happened? You spoke about working from home. What about real estate? Did you lose any buildings and give up space?
1: Uh, TSA had just built a brand new building in Springfield, Virginia. Uh, So we moved out of our Pentagon City location and then moved in to our new one. Um, So yeah, we've we've done a lot of shifting uh, and we've actually just welcomed uh, the DHS management office to our new headquarters building. So um, again, that was... It's kind of nice, though. Now we have a whole two floors of, of DHS employees, where pre-COVID that never would have happened. So it's, it's given other agencies the opportunity to consolidate their buildings. Any other questions?
2: Hey, um, I was curious, oh, that's for that. Um, how do you uh, think about EX in terms of um, the upstream effects that sort of lead to sometimes some negative employee experiences? Um, uh, at TSA, like what the policies that surround, like I don't want to take my shoes off, like why are we um, why, you know what influence do you have on the upstream effects like uh, uh, who we're hiring how we're hiring, how we're training them what the sort of tools are they have available to them and like how policies are crafted so they are enforceable by agents right? things of that nature, how do you sort of like work upstream as much as you can so that the folks who are on the front line and doing that work are getting they feel supported that they are the, the great craftspeople that we tell them that they are. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, it's It takes a lot of collaboration um, between my office, uh, which I'm in the Office of Civil Rights. So we, there's a lot of policies that impact uh, employee civil rights for sure. Um, and then we also partner very closely with the Office of Training and Development and the Office of Human Capital. Um, so we, we try to just cast a wide net and make sure that we're always talking so that when there are policy changes, uh, because you're right, if, a, if TSA has a policy change um, that impacts the public, it's going to impact them as well. So we try to just always include the employees and always think, like, how will this change impact the field?
2: And just to, to extend that, you're exactly right. It starts from the very beginning of onboarding and bringing an employee on. And so what that experience is like, and frankly, if you have amazing experiences there, you become a draw for individuals. You get, you know, obviously people want to work for organizations that do that. But then, being able to create that consist, uh, consistent uh, flow between onboarding that individual, taking them right into the job they have and the service they deliver. So, being able to do that, starting from the onboarding, is is what we're seeing as a valuable uh, capability.
3: Hi, my name is Brandy Wimberly, and I'm really interested around the evaluation of the impact of the changes or the programs you're making. And so you talked about the Employee Engagement Index. Could you say a little bit more about the, whether it's the metrics that you used? I know we talked about FEBS, but are mm-hmm. there certain things that you're cross-referencing, labeling an X, in order for us to maybe know what to do when we go back?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, so unfortunately, the Employee Engagement Index uh, portion of the FEV survey has changed over the last couple of years. So when we did our first um, CXEX comparison, that score has now, now those scores have changed. So we have to redo our analysis, um, but we'll still be looking at those, those scores and compare them to our complaint data, um, but it's going to take a little bit more work, <laughs> so... But it's, it's data that you... Are, are you with the government? Yeah, so um, sometimes you have to go straight to OPM to see if you can get your EEI data. Um, I tried to get it from TSA, and, and it was more difficult, so I just went direct to the source, so that's something that you may want to consider. Um, but yeah, we can, we can certainly talk after, and I can see if I can help you out. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, I think with that, uh, we will call this... Uh, uh, End of the panel, but uh, I want to thank you all very much for being here, and I thank the audience, and uh, in a f- I'll be turning uh, this microphone uh, over in a couple of minutes to my colleague George Jackson, uh, and he will take the stage in this room uh, for the next session, diversity, equity, and inclusion as a pillar of service delivery, but over in the other room will be uh, CX as one piece of the IT modernization puzzle. so you can either uh, stay here or uh, join us uh, next door and thank you again panelists that it was wonderful. I love the yeah. conversation.